Specialty Story, session number 17. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am your host here today. Today, I have an interesting episode for you, an interesting interview with a pain medicine specialist. Now, Dr. Fred Weiss is a radiologist by training for his residency and then did a fellowship in pain medicine. Now, what's interesting about this interview is that Dr. Weiss actually isn't practicing pain medicine right this very second. And we're going to get into why he's not doing that. And it's part of what he doesn't like about pain medicine. One of those questions that I ask in this podcast is, what do you like the most about your specialty and what do you dislike or what do you like the least about the specialty? And what Dr. Weiss talks about as liking the least is part of the reason why he's not practicing pain medicine right this very second, although he is intending to get back into it soon. So let's go ahead and jump right in and learn about pain medicine. Sure. My name is Fred Weiss. Um, I am currently uh, an emergency trauma radiologist at uh, Geisinger Health System in Danville, but previously I was a pain medicine physician in Florida. And how long have you been practicing? So I finished my last fellowship in 2014-15 year and uh, been practicing as an attending for about two years now. You said your last fellowship. Have you been through more than one fellowship? Yeah, I did two fellowships. So my first fellowship was a half and half fellowship in neuroradiology and musculoskeletal radiology. Okay. And then the, the second in, in pain medicine? In pain medicine yeah. at University of Pennsylvania. Wow. Okay. We'll, we'll talk a lot about everything today. When did you know you wanted to be, I guess, specifically a pain medicine doc? That's a good question. Um, so actually, I'm a, a physical therapist by background um, before going to medical school. Um, and I always really enjoyed the musculoskeletal system and the neurologic system. And I found those the easiest for me to understand and digest and you know, put into practice um, you know, all throughout PT school and then in medical school. Uh, and then as I was going through <clears throat> uh, my rotations, you know, I had that affinity toward that. And I didn't really know, I, I tried neurology rotations and physical medicine rotations. Um, and I enjoyed all the, you know, subspecialties that were affiliated with pain, you know, things in the periphery like orthopedics and neurosurgery, et cetera. Um, but ultimately, I didn't, I didn't see myself as a surgeon. Um, I really liked uh, interventional radiology type procedures that are performed by interventional pain docs. Um, and then, you know, it was a matter of choosing a base specialty for going into pain, um, which was really what, especially that I thought dealt with neuromusculoskeletal procedures the most. Okay. So what traits do you think lead to being a good pain medicine doc? Oh, what traits? So lots of, <laughs> lots and lots of patients, um, compassion, you know, a lot of patients are, um, you know, every patient is in pain to some extent, acute, chronic. 
Um, you see mostly chronic as a pain doctor. Um, I think right now, <laughs> and it sounds kind of odd, right now the best trait to have is um, patients with the political system and the medical system that we're in right now with all the complications going on with opioids and um you know, a lot of physicians feel like they have targets on their back, but I think more so than others, um, pain physicians feel that the most because they're prescribing opioids and the country is going through a, a national opioid epidemic right now. Interesting. Let's go ahead and talk about that for a second. You mentioned that you're doing diagnostic radiology now, but you are a pain medicine trained physician and you were doing that. Do you think, you, you mentioned this the opioid epidemic that we're in, do you think that there is a lot of misunderstanding about what pain medicine doctors do to have that target on your back? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, there's going through the, the interviews for attending jobs, you see a lot of diversity in how um, people practice uh, pain medicine. There are those who practice only interventional procedures um, the image guided procedures we talk about, you know, injections, epidurals, facet injections, nerve blocks, um, spinal cord stimulators, etc. Um, there are those on the opposite end of the spectrum who only uh, prescribe pain medications. And when you only prescribe pain medications, there are really only like a few classes of medications that are prescribed. Um, you know, the largest class would be opioids. Um, and then there's the people who are in between who are kind of moderates, right? Moderate amount of injections, moderate amount of pain medications, um, and go from there. Um, there's a lot of diversity, a lot of heterogeneity in the way people practice. And so uh, it leads to a lot of doctor shopping and a lot of people who um, can abuse these medications, um, seek these medications. And there are those people who really need it, and there are those people who don't. And you have to have a lot of Ability to be able to screen that out and follow evidence, and um, it's it's difficult. It's a very difficult thing on a day to day basis. Not even day to day, but patient to patient basis to figure out who's a good candidate for certain medications and for certain procedures, and um, who will respond and who will not. Outside of the interest in the interventional aspect, the the procedures that you talked about, was there a draw to the the specific patient population for pain medicine for you? Yeah, I mean, it stemmed from my background in physical therapy um, and physical in in the PT world. Um, my specialty, so to speak, was manual therapy. I really enjoyed putting my hands on someone and making them feel better, um, whether it be you know gently mobilizing their spine or move, you know mobilizing their knee or um, doing massage therapy, uh, things like that. Um, you know, I really enjoyed the manual therapy aspect of it. And so, as you know, similar to osteopathic medicine, um, I took a lot of continuing education in that sort of uh, topic and really enjoyed it and kind of drew me toward that because I had good success, good success in that, those sort of techniques. Um, and I wanted to carry that over to the pain medicine field and how I practiced. Um, and to some extent, I was actually fairly successful in getting patients off pain medications simply using manual therapy techniques and other modalities. Um, complementary to other things. So, you mentioned osteopathic medicine. Are you, are you an osteopathic physician? <clears throat> I'm not actually. Um, I <laughs> I actually when I applied to medical school, I applied to nine 
osteopathic medical schools, and I got rejected from all of them. But somehow I was accepted to five <laughs> allopathic uh, medical schools, and I went ended up going to GW. So go figure. Interesting. Okay. Now you you talked about you briefly mentioned the the base specialty for pain medicine. Can you talk briefly about the different ways into pain medicine? Sure. So um, when I was in medical school, <clears throat> there were only a few subspecialties, um, a few specialties who could um, be eligible for pain medicine fellowship, and it was anesthesiology, of course, the the, the largest stake, um, physical medicine, uh, neurology, and, and psychiatry. And I had done rotations in all of those, and I didn't really, uh, I, I, well, I liked them, I didn't really love them. And when I did my rotation in radiology, I met an interventional radiologist who did a good bit of pain management procedures, Anthony Van Brooks um, at GW, and he was fantastic. And he had follow-up clinic with his patients, and it was really um, quite enjoyable, and patients did well. And so I said, well, you know, I'm going to go into radiology, and eventually interventional radiology, and follow from from there and do just uh, the, the pain part of interventional radiology. Um, but ultimately, when I went into uh, radiology, I, I found that when I was doing my interventional rotations, the only part of interventional radiology I enjoyed was um, the pain procedures. And really to be great at it, not just good at it, but be great at it you, and practice comprehensive pain medicine, uh, I wanted to do a, a fellowship in pain medicine. Um, along the way, I had met a mentor of mine, uh, Wade Wong, who is a neuroradiologist and a neurointerventional radiologist trained radio, um, diagnostic radiologist uh, at UC San Diego. And he actually was one of the first, I think the first radiologist to become board certified in pain medicine. And the way he did it is he did the fellowship, applied for a fellowship at UC San Diego, who's already faculty, um, completed the fellowship and then was able to be boarded under the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. And at that time, they sponsored him to sit for the exam, and then he was able to um, take and sit for the exam and get certified. A few years later, um, another gentleman, Rick Obrey, did the same thing, but then he was able to be sponsored by the American Board of Physical Medicine and Rehab. Around the time that I was applying, there was a lot of political change going on in the field of pain medicine, and the anesthesiology board was simultaneously closing options and opening them at the same time. Um, so they said, well, we're no longer going to let just anybody be able to be co-sponsored by other boards. You have to have your primary board sponsor the examination. So um, I appealed to the American Board of Radiology, um, and I had multiple organizations um, involved in that, the ASSR, the Spine Radiology <clears throat> Society, Skeletal Radiology Society, Interventional Radiology Society, um, all kind of rally around this where they wanted to lobby for pain medicine to become an official subspecialty of radiology since um, many of the procedures were actually even invented by radiologists. Um, so long story short, <laughs> I wrote an 80-page application for the ABR to the, then submit to the ABMS, the American Board of Medical Specialties, and then we were successful in getting um, that through uh, so that pain medicine became an official subspecialty for radiology. Now, as a result, um, now the other <coughs> boards that uh, applied uh, was the American Board of Emergency Medicine, 
and also the American Board of Family Medicine. So pain medicine is now an official subspecialty of those fields as well. Wow. Okay. All right. So let's dig more into pain medicine. What types of patients are you treating? Oh, wow. So it's all, it's all over the board. So it can be on the developmental you know, um, spectrum as from, say, my youngest patient last year was, I think, eight. And my oldest patient was well into her 90s. <laughs> and where I was in Florida, I would say the mode was probably, you know, 80-year-old females. Um, and then I had, of course, a spectrum along, along the way. What are you treating them for? What what are what are you seeing an eight year old for? So, <clears throat> um, the eight year old was for chronic hip pain, I believe, and it was ended up being ultimately a, a biomechanical issue. She had um, pes planus or flat feet. She needed orthotics. I gave her a few exercises. Um, I prescribed no medications. Um, I said, "Come back after a month of doing these exercises. See how you do." Um, we actually incorporated some martial arts into her exercises because she was enjoying martial arts at the time, and I'm actually a black belt myself. Um, and then after a month, she was pain-free. So um, she had been a, a bit of a, a diagnostic mystery for her uh, pediatricians and orthopedists, and then they sent her over to me because she was a, quote, chronic pain issue at that point, and then um, we were able to figure out what's wrong. So moral of the story is being a ninja fixes everything. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, and so you said the the mode is the are, are these eighty year old females. What types of things are you typically treating them for? Um, back pain is <clears throat> by far the most common um, diagnosis that I see. So neck pain and back pain. Um, you know, when it comes to back pain, it's very multifactorial. So it's like you know, the lower back, for example, is a very complex structure. Your sacroiliac joints, your facet joints, your discs, your nerves, muscles. Uh, I would say muscle pain is actually the most commonly missed um, diagnosis in lower back pain in the chronic pain clinic setting because I think most pain doctors feel like it, it should be picked up earlier and then sort of ignore it uh, or just uh, you know don't see past that as the major pain generator um, and then go treating deeper things when it really is majority muscle. So, yeah. Describe a typical day in a pain clinic. Um, let's see. Uh, it depends. So it depends on if I'm on clinic or if I'm procedure day. Um, if it's a mixed day, so I would say between eight and noon, I would see about 15 to 20 patients, um, whether they're new or follow up. Um, and then let's see, go in, let's say for a 10 minute follow up on someone who I did facet injections previously. Let's say they're doing well. We'll continue them with physical therapy. Um, I would follow up along, you know, read reading notes from the physical therapists. Um, other patient types that I can see, let's say, you know, chronic regional pain syndrome. Um, we might do regional blocks for that, or um, something ultrasound guided, like a stellate ganglion block. Um, let's see. Other you know peripheral type things. Let's say someone comes with chronic ankle pain, we can inject joints under ultrasound guidance, uh, and all those can be done on a, a typical clinic day, very similar to a sports medicine clinic day. Um, if you know others, if, if medical students, residents have seen or shadowed sports medicine, um, and then on a procedure day, 
And that's usually when I'll have um, epidurals, facet injections, um, nerve blocks, things like that, that are going to be image-guided under fluoroscopy. Um, those are scheduled. And then at that point, I stay in let all day. My nurses and my techs will bring patients in from the um, the waiting room, get them prepped and ready to go. They've already been consented. Um, and then it's it's pretty much procedure after procedure. And the nice thing is it's it's you know it's one of those things where patients have surgery. A lot of times they're in pain afterwards or they they feel, you know, uncomfortable or some sort of discomfort. It's one of the few things where patients come in, they get on the table, right afterwards they're pain free. They 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 cry and give you a hug right away. That's how happy they are. <laughs> Uh, so that's kind of the rewarding part of the field. That's pretty cool. What percentage of patients do you think that you see do you actually perform a procedure on? That's a good question, actually. Um, I would probably say about 60 to 70%. It's definitely not everybody. Um, a lot of patients will respond to physical therapy. Um, I, you know, as I said, I'm also a physical therapist, so... Um, with that experience, I have a general idea of who responds well to that, who may need a little kind of push or a little um, injection to get them um, temporary relief in order to be able to tolerate more physical therapy. Um, and then there are patients, of course, who just flat out refuse to go to physical therapy. And um, those are <laughs> those are probably the most challenging because they have the shortest term relief with those um, injections that I perform, or the procedures that I perform. Yeah, um, and generally, you know, in general, I'm a um, multifactorial kind of holistic kind of person. You know, injections um, are only, you know, they're they're temporary for the vast majority of patients. Um, and really, what helps long term is physical therapy and rehabilitation. Um, and that's actually, I think, reflected in the newest guidelines, uh, where uh, physical therapy and exercise modalities are going to be the first line of defense rather than prescribing opioids or doing injections, things like that. Yeah. That's a complete switch from at least when I was in medical school. I actually remember one of my deans who taught a primary class, primary care class saying there's no evidence for physical therapy. We absolutely should not be pre- prescribing it for patients wow. with back pain. And that's that. And now it's kind of come kind of a complete one eighty, which I think is much more appropriate. Yeah. And and from from my experience uh, with I'm an exercise physiology background and was a, a trainer for a long time. So oh, cool. I, I'm very, very familiar with the PT side of the house. That's actually where I started. My, my healthcare desires was to be a physical therapist, but it oh, changed. Awesome. Um, the, the, the role of, would you agree that the role of the injection is more to reduce the inflammation so that they can do PT for that long-term Results. You know, it's inter- it's interesting. There's a lot of theories as to how the how injections work, and <clears throat> reducing inflammation is one of them. And here here is I think where uh, being a radiologist is also an advantage. Um, almost all these patients have an MRI for me to review, whether it's they've had it prior or they end up getting it because I order it. And depending on what I see on the MRI. Um, you know, I really consider myself a subspecialty trained spine radiologist, having the neuro and the MSK background. There are patients who will have stone cold, normal, non contrast MRIs. You give them a little contrast, and their synovium of the facet joints light up, and you know that's an inflammatory process. So those patients are going to respond really well to steroids, 
from a decreasing inflammation point of view. However, a lot, most of the time they don't. It's a matter of like a chronic osteoarthrosis um, sort of phenomenon where there's really not much inflammation going on, but there is remodeling and there's you know irritation of bone on bone arthritis. And you know those patients respond to a combination of um, local anesthetics and steroid because the steroid actually will allow the local anesthetic to last longer. Now, how long? The truth is no one really knows. And the spiel I give my patients is some patients report really for two days, some for two weeks, some for two months, some for two years, and some not at all. And one of the challenges we have in pain medicine is really figuring out who is going to respond the best and the most to the procedures that we do for the best bang for their buck uh, and our buck. Yeah. And I've, I've actually figured out a few things based on what I can see on MRI. For example, that synovial enhancement. I've had any patient who I've done injections on have had that sort of finding. They do phenomenal long-term. Um, that has never been published before. Um, but those are the sort of correlations that I'm, I'm finding out being both a radiologist and a pain physician. So eventually I think we'll get to those kind of correlations and studies. But for now, uh, my current job keeps me pretty busy. <laughs> okay. Do you have to take a lot of call as a pain med doc? Actually, the interesting thing about um, at least outpatient pain, you don't take any call. Um, uh, the practice I was in, um, it was a Monday to Friday, 8 to 5 sort of scenario. Um, and there was no call, no weekends. Um, if patients had issues, they were instructed to call the emergency room or their primary care doctor. Um, and then follow up during daytime hours with our office if they had a real issue that they needed to, that they felt was, you know, urgent or emergent. Um, and that's the way most chronic pain doctors practice in the country. Okay. Do you feel like you have enough work-life balance as a pain med doc? Oh, yeah. I mean, as a pain doctor, you know, I'm currently practicing as a radiologist, which is much better <laughs> as far as lifestyle goes. But I think as a, as a pain doctor... Um, it sort of depends on your your practice setting. So if you're just opening a private practice, you're probably not going to have a great work-life balance because you're developing your practice. You're putting your heart and soul and gut and time um, into developing it so you have no vacation. But on a typical you know, steady state, you'll have your you know, three to four weeks of vacation a year. You work Monday to Friday, 8 to 5, 8 to 4, um, and you're, it's pretty regular hours, no call, no weekends, that sort of thing. Okay. So you, we already talked about the path to pain medicine, how there's a bunch of different foundations for it. Um, once you're done with the foundational residency that you're doing, is everybody applying to the same fellowships or are there different pain fellowships for each of the different residency specialties? That's actually a, it's a great question because the, um, the process is sort of unifying more and more every year. Um, it is the same umbrella and category of fellowships. Um, they are largely housed in anesthesiology um, academic programs throughout the country. I believe only six or seven are currently in physical medicine, um, and only one is in a neurology department, one or two at the most at this point. Um, and everyone's applying for those combination, those fellowships. And depending on the department, there are there is some bias whether it's exactly calculated or not, um, for taking a certain number of anesthesiology residents or PMNR residents 
um, for their program. So, for example, now if you apply for pain medicine, um, if you're anesthesiology, it's pretty much you're across the board. You can apply to any program and expect to be fine. If you're a PM&R, there are a certain number of spots allotted um, for some fellowships, and it's reflected in this way when you apply for the actual fellowship, you know, on ERAS, um, that you can only apply for a certain number of spots within um, each program. Um, and there's the way that the ERAS program actually sorts them out. Okay. So, there, so there's anesthesiology and non-anesthesiology spots, basically. Okay. Interesting. Is matching competitive? Matching is actually very competitive. Um, I don't have the most recent statistics, but um, the last statistics I had looked at were, I think, from like 2015, and it was something like 65% of those who applied um, ended up matching. So that means 35% did not, which is a large, you know, large percentage of people. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's for a fellowship, so it's not like these people are not matching out of medical school. So it makes it a little bit better, but still, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What should a what should a resident be doing to make themselves a competitive applicant? So if you're anesthesiology, um, it's built into your your program. You're going to be doing a couple months of pain medicine, no matter what. Um, so go on your rotation, work hard, show some interest, do a couple more. Um, elective rotations, um, get hands-on, do as much hands-on as you can, really ask, and sometimes you even have to beg for the, for the fellows to give up their procedures or, or work directly with the attending to do some procedures. Um, but do it, and it's worth it. And if you feel like you enjoy it, um, by all means, apply. Um, you know, research always helps, getting active involved and you know, doing a presentation for a society meeting. Um, which is really actually not that challenging. Some people go, oh, I hate re- research. I don't want to do this. And, but if you really write like a little review or an educational exhibit for a conference, you know, it shows some initiative. It, it really tells the attendings that you're willing to put a little extra work in, and it's truly not that much work to put in. Um, if you're a PM&R resident, um, seek out pain doctors um, who are fellowship trained through this process. Get to know them. Um, understand, get their tips, um, get their connections. You know, a lot of times it's not necessarily what you know, but who you know. Um, so really, um, network, network, network as much as you can. Um, and the same advice as far as the, the the anesthesiology resident type you know issues that I gave just now. Just you know, put that little extra effort in to do a little bit of research and get to know the people in your department and work with them. Okay. Once you are subspecialized or specialized as a pain doc, what opportunities are there, if any, to further subspecialize? So that's interesting. Um, There's a lot of, so as part of pain and medicine training, you do some hospice palliative care training, uh, more on the palliative care than hospice, but a little bit of that. So you can work in that setting. Um, You can do subspecialty just in cancer pain. Um, and cancer pain is a lot of, you know, it is a lot of opioid management, but it's not opioid management where you're going to worry um, these patients are going to get chronically addicted um, and have such negative long-term side effects from opioids because they don't honestly don't live that long. It's really for a palliative um, care. Um, and then the procedures involved tend to be a little more complicated for cancer pain patients. So, um, 
<clears throat> they're the more um, autonomic ganglion type blocks. So your stellate ganglions, your cili- celiac blocks, things like that. Um, and also, if opioids don't have a complete effect um, for relieving their pain, many of these patients go on to get um, intrathecal opioid pain pumps. Um, and that's another type of procedure that, um, that is very effective in cancer pain, um, was thought to be effective in non-cancer pain, but then um, was found out really that it, it just does not work for non-cancer pain and, and probably should not be done for non-cancer pain anymore. Are the boards for pain med anything to worry about? That's an interesting question. Um, anything to worry about? I think just like any other boards, you're you're going to study, you're going to work hard. Um, I think the the because so few people talk about pain medicine boards in general, um, there's this kind of fear about them. I'll tell you, for those who are in pain fellowships right now. Um, it's almost identical to the process of taking the in-training exam, and some of the questions are even identical. Um, so if you did well on the in-training exam, you're going to do well on the boards. Um, you know, A lot of people think they have to pay for these large courses, um, and the truth is you don't. There are books that are available online that are, some are even available for free um, that you can download and do those questions, and you'll be completely fine. Um, there are question banks online that will give you practice. Um, they're you know, fairly expensive and, to be honest, probably only marginally useful. Um, some are even not even written well, but they, because there are so few resources for the pain medicine boards, they, they still tend to sell very well. Um, but overall, I think easily you can do it with just a free book. Because somebody listening to this might not be interested in pain medicine, but is going into primary care... If you were to speak to him or her, what do you wish they would know as a primary care provider to help right. you do your job better to do their to make their job easier? I think the number one thing I'd and I'd want to communicate to you know primary care, but not only primary care, all fields who are referring to pain medicine is that pain medicine does not equal opioids. Um, pain medicine equals um, a comprehensive management for pain that's both behavioral, procedural, um, medical, and rehab. And um, a lot of patients who come see me originally, you know, will say, "Well, you know, I'm out of my Percocet, and my primary care doctor said it's not, you're the one who's going to prescribe it now because it's illegal for him to prescribe it." And those are, <laughs> you know, that that unfortunately um, became many of my patients, and um, was just simply not true. Uh, it's not never illegal for a primary care doctor to prescribe opioids for one thing. But the bottom line is opioid care is not good pain care. It requires procedures and rehab and other types of medications um, that are much better for pain. So if you're going to refer to pain medicine, I think that patients need to have a clear expectation, um, at least initially, of what to, to think and what to, they're going to receive on the first day. And it's certainly not going to be, you know, of a controlled substance. So, okay. What other specialties do you work the closest with? Um, neurology gives us a lot of referrals. Neurosurgery, um, a lot of times, um, nerve blocks before surgical procedures um, are performed to decide what level of a surgery is going to be performed. If they're going to do a single level fusion, um, I get a lot of referrals from orthopedics. 
um, patients who have you know chronic knee pain here and there, and maybe they've tried injections, they don't want to do surgery, um, but orthopedics you know really focused on doing surgery, they'll send to us for the non-operative management. Um, lots you know lots of primary care referrals. Um, where else can I tell you? I think that covers the vast majority of it. Are there, as a as a pain med doc, are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine? It's a good question. Um, I think, as in any field, you can do medical legal consulting. Um, I have not done any personally myself. I've had a couple offers, um, but nothing that really lined up time wise that I, I was going to do. Um, what else can you do? You can um, present for various pharmaceutical companies, and um, you know if you do that, there's, you know of course lots of ethical issues involved, and you want to make sure that you're not just <laughs> pushing a drug, but you actually <laughs> make sure it works for your patients or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, but okay. nothing I can think of specifically. Um, otherwise, you know, a lot of pain doctors will open up their own surgical centers. Um, for financial reasons and uh, for, you know, essentially money-making, right? You know, it's, it's a business, so um, a lot of, you know, real estate opportunities and pain for that that sort of thing. Okay. What do you wish you knew before going into pain management, pain medicine? Hmm. That's a question. You know, I think that, um, so I went in from radiology, and radiology is very cognitively challenging throughout the day. You know, your mind is constantly going, 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 going. It's not never stop. I think in pain, it's less cognitively challenging because you have practice patterns that you get into um, and step-by-step management. You kind of know what the next step is going to be with most patients. And so the cognitive aspect isn't there as much as the emotional aspect. It's very emotionally challenging throughout the day. Um, you know, minus the successes, I'd say, I say 20% of patients do really well. Some of them do neutral, and a chunk of them just don't get better. Period. Um, and it's not to the fault of you know any you know particular physician. That's kind of why they're there to see me in the first place because it's chronic, it's a chronic pain issue. Um, but I think that you know what I want, what I would have loved to know is how emotionally taxing throughout the day um, the practice is. Um, you're, you know, you have a lot of patients who are crying, who feel hopeless. <clears throat> um, you know, that external locus of control, um, that they feel like they're, they're down in the dumps. And a large part of my population when I was practicing in Florida was Medicaid. So on top of the challenges, um, that they have of having chronic pain, they also have financial issues. And on top of even the financial issues, as far as the, the practice, um, or the treatment opportunities I can even offer them, there were no physical therapy practices that took Medicaid. A lot of the procedures I offered that I thought would actually be best for patients were not covered. Um, And the organization I worked for didn't believe in free care. Um, So I wasn't allowed to provide those procedures. Um, So in the end, they were stuck taking medications that they did not want to take because that was the only options they had. Um, And some of them were stuck taking opioid medications because that was the only class of medications that their um, insurance company or Medicaid would cover. So this is part of a 
process in how our country and a very large part of our country has been become addicted to prescription opioid medications. And that sort of leads into, into how I'm you know, back to practicing radiology because I didn't really believe in this process that's kind of self-feeding, um, self-feeding and defeating at the same time, um, how, we're, how we're making the problem, unfortunately, worse nationally rather than better. So, Okay. So you, you answered, I would assume that would be your answer if I asked you, what do you like the least? Um, like, <laughs> yes, that would, prob- that would probably hit the, the, the least. <laughs> okay. So what do you like the most about being a pain doc? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, by far, when patients are get better, they get better. Um, and that was also, that kind of ties into why I chose radiology. You know, a, lar- a large part of um, chronic pain and is, is a diagnostic dilemma for these patients. Um, you have radiologists who are reviewing images who have never put their hands on the patient. You have many pain doctors who may not have the understanding of certain um, subtleties and nuances in reviewing imaging. And, but when you bring those two skill sets together, a lot of them um, will get better with the right diagnosis and the right directed targeted treatment, um, whether it be injection or physical therapy um, or whatever else. So it's very rewarding when you see someone who's been struggling for <clears throat> well over you know a year, if not multiple years, um, who finally just do significantly better. If you had to do it all over again, would you still choose pain med? Absolutely. I mean, um, despite the political issues that are, are going on in the country, I think that it's a fantastic field. It's extremely rewarding. Um, it really challenges you on every level, right? You have to know your imaging, your physical exam, um, your entire physical exam, not just your neuromusculoskeletal. Um, you have to know, you have to be an expert in your classes of medications um, that cross over even into, you know, into neurology, but also into psychiatry. Uh, you should say, I learned in medical school, you know, people always try to stay away from the psychiatric medications as, as much as they can because only psychiatrists understand it. Um, and really, <clears throat> uh, pain medicine embraces those medications. Um, and then also, I just it's, a, it's just a fantastic field. It's very emotionally rewarding when patients do well. So, What do you see on the horizon, if anything, any major changes, whether it's from technology or maybe just a, a fundamental shift on how it's practiced, maybe based on what you've right. been talking about that, that you see <clears throat> coming to pain med? So on the horizon, I think there's going to be more technology that's going to be dedicated to things like spinal cord stimulation. Um, you know, it's a device that you implant, um, the battery gets implanted subcutaneously and then you have leads that are, um, implanted in the epidural space, um, that create electronic bursts, uh, or electronic signals that will actually block pain signals. Um, and it used to be patients would feel a buzzing sensation as sort of covering up, (coughs) um, the pain sensation they would feel. But now actually there's great technology out where patients don't even feel that buzzing sensation and just the pain is blocked. Um, So I think as more of these types of technologies come out, I think they're going to come forward in the algorithm of treating patients earlier with higher-end procedural intervention uh, rather than going to medications, um, doing steroids on a frequent basis, doing local anesthetics on a frequent basis. 
Um, and the other thing I, I think it has a lot of potential is um, therapies with um, stem cells. Um, I think as more research comes out, I think there's going to be some um, certain niche indications for um, stem cells and certain types of stem cells to be injected um, into various joints and tendons and nerves that will cause and that will stimulate healing. Any last words of wisdom for the resident medical student or pre-med student listening to this that's interested in pain med? Sure. Um, do what you love. I mean, if you, if you really want to do it, despite the political climate, go for it. At the end of the day, you're going to be extremely well rewarded um, for the work that you do. Patients are going to love you. Um, you get tons of Christmas cards, tons of hugs. Um, and at least when I, when I thought of becoming a doctor, that's kind of how I, I pictured it. I, I actually thought of a lot of patients who were going to say thank you. Um, whereas a lot of times, you know, unfortunately in the primary care setting or other fields, you don't get that thank you. Um, that's not the only reason to do it, obviously. But it's, it's a very rewarding field. Um, it takes a lot from you in terms of, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's well worth it. All right, there you have it, pain medicine from a community doc and a radiologist by training. Now, as Dr. Weiss talked about, you can get into pain medicine from various different specialties, and I want to talk about pain medicine and hear from those different specialists as well to hear maybe a different aspect of pain medicine as from being... Um, a, a neurologist, as he talked about, or a PM, PM&R doc, or one of the other specialties, and to see if that gives them a different perspective or they find something else that they like about the specialty different than Dr. Weiss talked about. So if you have a specialty you want me to cover here on the podcast, shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I've been getting a lot of great suggestions, and I keep adding those to the list. And I'd love for you, if you know anybody that would make a great guest here on the podcast, let me know that as well. I hope you have a great week. Come join us back next week here at Specialty Stories.